Amen. Let's all stand to our feet just really quick, and let's do the shuffle again. Let's see if the people of God are in. Come forward as close as you can. If there's seats in front of you, move forward. We just really want this to be kind of an interactive share time. Say hi to somebody. Just take 30 seconds and and just introduce yourself to somebody next to you. You don't have to touch them if you're afraid of germs or whatever. Yeah, get the chairs. Amen. Come on up, Rafa. Amen. What? Good job. I still can't believe the people of God are listening. I mean, no one does that when someone asks people to move forward. Amen. And just really quick before we go any further, it is someone's very, very special. Come on up, Charles. Grab a seat. Rafa. It is Andrew's birthday, so let's all sing happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Andrew. Happy birthday to you. most powerful birthday song. <laughs> and now I, we're going to do the Venezuelan birthday song. <laughs> they sing for seven minutes. No, it's too much. Ten too minutes. Much. No, just I just wanted to thank you guys, but I want to thank you, uh, Chad, for giving me the shirt. I've already had many compliments. That's his compliments. birthday gift. Isn't he handsome? <laughs> many compliments. That it was a beautiful shirt. You know, I don't know if guys really want to hear that, but, it's you know, it's all good. It's a beautiful a shirt. Beautiful shirt. And then just really quick, weren't you so thankful for Brother Kevin leading us in worship this morning? <laughs> come here, both of you, really quick. Just 10 seconds. Trust me, we're going to move on, but just come. Kevin and I have written five songs. Six, we've written a bunch of songs together. Yeah. These guys, this isn't their home church, but they've ministered. They're, they're, they're family. Everyone say, your family. Yeah. And they are moving to South Carolina for an exciting Jesus kingdom adventure. And so can you just extend your hands? We want to bless. This is their last Sunday as California residents. So let's just put a blessing on faith and his, I'm sorry, hope. And it's always faith, hope, and love. It's hope. And Kevin, so Father, in the name of Jesus, as just representatives of an extended spiritual family, we bless this couple in the name of the Lord. We affirm their, their apostolic calling to plant Jesus communities in the nations of the earth. God, we bless the favor that they have with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Lord, they are artists. They are, they are those that carry the Father's heart. Father, so we ask your anointing would rest on them. Father, as their extended spiritual family, would you send them this week as they pack their car, as they clean their house for the last time, Lord, in California, and would you just, Holy Spirit, go before them this week. We send them out, again, just as extended members of their spiritual family. We love them. We affirm their calling. Would you send them with grace? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give a big shout. Hallelujah. Love you guys. Thank you so much.
And also, we have Greg Garman, the district superintendent of the Nazarene Church. Everyone say hi, Pastor Greg. He's here. So here's what we're going to do. We are, we, uh, everyone gets three minutes, so everyone get your smartphones. I'm kidding. That's not going to happen. We, we just wanted to share a collective word just to bring you guys up to speed a little bit with what God's doing. So how many have had the chance to, you're either here in person on May 15th, you've heard the news that Radiant Central Coast is becoming a non-denominational church. Who, who have heard that? Who's, okay, praise God. So most of you have heard that. As you heard in that talk, um, Part of that move um, is we're excited as elders of Radiant Central Coast Non-Denominational Church to explore what, what we're, we, we're going to unpack just briefly today, uh, what we discern to be a New Testament wineskin for uh, the shape and structure of the household of God. The fancy word is ecclesiology. Everyone say ecclesiology. Now you have a fancy word to share with your coworkers or your colleagues at work. But basically, it's the theology of how the, sh- the, the church is organized, how it's structured. How, how, how does leadership work? What's the goal or the telos for the people of God as members of the family of God? And so what we're going to do the best of our ability, is to just share a little piece. Charles is going to whiteboard us. When he did the whiteboard to us, we were all like, yes, Lord, no pressure. Because it was just glorious as we just walk through the scriptures as we read the story of God and how he has patterned his household to function so that his people can flourish. How many believe we have a good father? who wants his sons and daughters to flourish in his house. So just turn to your neighbor and tell them this. You were designed to flourish in the household of God. Come on, don't be shy. You were destined to flourish in the household of God. So I get to kick us off, lucky me. Get your timers out. I'm not preaching a full word because everyone has something. Everyone's loaded for bear. Uh, But I just wanted to just start this conversation. Again, I'll send all of these notes. Um, We have so many notes and documents. And one of the things we're really excited that we've heard, Andrew's told me some testimonies of people are, they're reading their Bibles to see if what we're saying is true. And that makes me so excited. Read your Bibles. Everyone say, I'm going to read it. I'm going to become a student of the word. And so we just heard stories. What do you mean, elders? What do you mean God's designed for his church? And it's caused many of you to open your Bibles and to go, oh, my goodness, these guys aren't crazy. (laughs) Or maybe you still think we're crazy, and praise God, there's room for that. Uh, Amen. So I just wanted to just kick us off and to show you that when, when God's people build his house according to pattern and design, he pours out his glory. Let me say the the big idea I want to present just to kick us off. When God's people build his house according to his design and pattern, the result is the glory of God descends and dwells. How many want to see the glory of God descend and dwell among us? So in Exodus chapter 25, this guy called Moses, he's a deliverer. He delivers the people of God out of slavery in Egypt. And he was told, make the tabernacle and all of its furnishings, verse 9, like the pattern, everyone say pattern, 
like the pattern I will show you. Now, why was he ha- why, why in the tabernacle, which was sort of the first iteration after human sin of the place that God would call home, how Yahweh would come to dwell in the midst of his people, why was it so important that Moses built it according to pattern? Well, if you read in Hebrews chapter 9, again, I'm just doing broad strokes. You can look at all of these notes. I'll send an email you later, this, later today. Because these were copies, everyone say copies, copies. Hebrews 9.23, of the heavenly things. So everything Moses was called to pattern the tabernacle after, it was not a man's imagination or a man's theory. They were patterns or copies of the heavenly realities. Amen. Later on, by the way, seven chapters describe how they were meant to build the tabernacle. And so the question is, if God would give seven chapters to describe how he wanted all of the intricacies of his house, Old Testament style, how many believe he has a plan, a will, and wisdom for his New Testament people of God? Amen, for the household. So fast forward, after the tabernacle, where did God choose to dwell? The Starts with a T, ends with an imple. The temple. Tabernacle, build it according to design. And by the way, what happened? I missed that part of Exodus 39. When all of the work of the tabernacle was completed and they did everything that the Lord commanded Moses, after he did everything, when he finished the work, Exodus 40, verse 33, the cloud, everyone say the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Build my house according to pattern and design, and I will fill it with my glory. Tabernacle. Temple. I wonder if we see a similar pattern. God put it in the heart of David to build a permanent dwelling place for the presence of God. It wasn't David's idea Amen? David had this longing, this ache, this desire for God to have a permanent dwelling in the midst of the people of God. David had all these plans, and the prophet Nathan said, you're not the one to build it. Imagine being told that. Oh, it's like, you are a man of war. I love your heart, but it's your son who's going to build it for us. I love Psalm 132, David's self-denial. He says, I will not enter my house I won't even go to bed, he lied. He had to have slept. I will allow no sleep to my, to my eyes until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. Do you guys see the heart of David? I won't sleep until he has a place to dwell. And then later in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, David was given the blueprints from God for the temple. The intricacies, the nuances. I don't have time. It's a huge passage. Just read all the First Chronicles 28. It's glorious. But in verse 12, it says this. He gave him the plans of all that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple, all of its surrounding rooms, for the treasuries, and for the temple of God. So just like God gave Moses a pattern, so he gave David a pattern. Say it with me. God has a pattern. God has a design in mind for his house. And once again, when Solomon built the temple according to his daddy's blueprints that he received from God, what happened? 
I love it. Second Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13. They joined in unison to give praise to the Lord. Then the temple was filled with the cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Build my house according to my pattern, you can expect for my glory to fill it. Come on, how many want to see his glory rest on his people in the hour in which we live? So, Chad, those are Old Testament examples. What about the new? Care to know one of the top metaphors that the New Testament authors describe the people of God as God's building. Everyone say building. 1 Corinthians 3.9, God's temple. 1 Corinthians 3.16, God's house. Hebrews chapter 3, God's household, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Literally, Hebrews 3, 6 says, we, say we, are his house. Jesus is the son over God's house. Say that with me. Jesus is the son over God's house. First Peter says that we, like living stones, verse 4 and 5, are being built to become a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood who offers spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Friends, there's just too many. Uh, you get it. We are God's house. Turn to your neighbor and say, he doesn't live in buildings anymore. Come on, tell him. Just go read. I was reading the book of Acts this week when Stephen, the first martyr, was stoned. One of the last words out of his mouth were, and he, in Acts chapter 7, verse 39 through 54, he says, God does not live in buildings built by man, but he lives in and in the midst of his people. Christ is the head of his body, and he's the son over his house. So just like God in the Old Testament and the tabernacle had a pattern, just like God through his servant David had a blueprint and a pattern for his temple, so too Christ has a blueprint, has a plan for how his household is to function. Does that make sense? And the, how, many, how many have seen uh, some of the, some of the I'm not, I don't like gloating in other brothers and sisters' sin, but how many have seen the rampant fall of ministers and ministers, ministries that have a man at the center at the top? Raise your hand if you've heard or read any articles. They're tragic. I'm not gloating in them. Friends, God, how many believe that, that in God's mercy, he releases his judgments in his house first so that we can repent change our ways and our thinking and get back into alignment and agreement with what he sees and what he says about his house. How many believe that Jesus is zealous and jealous for his father's house? Raise your head. This is why he turns over the tables. This is his disciples in John 2. Zeal for his house consumes him. And I believe one of the reasons we've seen, man, even the SBC, the Southern Baptist, there's, there's there's just article after article. There's all of these, these movements are falling and faltering, and they're just being, the, the Lord, it's just, it's heartbreaking. The Hillsong documentary, the Willow Creek, the Bill, 
So many big ministers and ministries are falling. Do you know why? Because when we try to usurp the headship and authority of Jesus and take the glory for ourselves, our hearts cannot carry that kind of weight. There is only one who is holy and glorious and good. Jesus is at the center. Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus is alone capable to bear the weight of being the head of his church. And so what we're seeing in our generation in these last days is the judgment of God. How many believe 1 Peter 4? It says judgment begins with the family of God. He's not gonna judge the world first. Hello, Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I wanna save the world. But it's the people who bear my name, who pick up the traditions of men, who add to my word or subtract to my word. I'm coming with judgment first to them so that they can get back into the flow of my grace and then become those those conduits of my gospel ministry in the earth. But we're, we're experiencing, friends, look at how many tribes and denominations are just saying goodbye to historic Christian orthodoxy. They're saying goodbye to the gospel. They're watering down the word. Friends, this is not an hour to water the book down. It's an hour to stand on the word. Every word, every sentence is true. And so Christ, we're, we're seeing it. Just don't Google all those things I just mentioned. The, the fall, the rise and fall. The judgment of God is being released in his house because he wants to show mercy, pour out his grace so that we can get back into alignment with Christ being the king, the Lord, the master, the head, and the center of all the activities and the ambition of his people. When you build according to pattern, and design. God wants to pour out his glory in our midst. So Father, as we just, this, just to set the stage for this idea of pattern and design, I pray, Lord, that you would begin to just perk that, that Holy Spirit-inspired hunger and longing within us to see you, Jesus, be the head to, come on, to see you, Jesus, be the Lord and the master, to see you, Jesus, as the king, as the son over your house, as the center of our affection, our attention, and our allegiance. So Christ, we as elders of this house say, be exalted, be the Lord, be the master, be the head. We submit to you. You are the king, you are the Lord, you are the head of the body, and we gladly throw our crowns before you and say, King Jesus, be our all in all. King Jesus, be our center. King Jesus, be the chief shepherd in our midst. In Jesus' name, we all said amen and amen. And pass it to Brother Charles. Praise the Lord, saints. I'm going to try to take you through the scriptures, a survey, because sometimes, you know, the Old Testament saints, they, they didn't perceive, even into the, when Jesus came, the people didn't perceive that God had planned all along this beautiful salvation that would come through the Messiah and the Christ, and, and they missed all that God had, had, had left this ribbon throughout scripture, and sometimes um, we miss a number of things. So one of the things I wanted to share with you. Upstairs, okay.
want to share that God's plan for leadership has always been eldership. Always. And you may not see that. You may not understand it. But I'm going to show you from the very beginning. When you look at when, you know, God created a, 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 in Genesis 1, everything we see and don't see. From, from the things in the heavens, in the spiritual realm, to the things in the natural, to the things under the sea. And I find it interesting that when he created all things, he just said, let it be, let it be, let it be. But when it came to man, and I'm going to get a little excited today because I'm excited about these things. When it came to man, all of a sudden we see the Trinity working together because he said, let us make man in our image. Friends, even, I'm going to tell you, even the divine Godhead, works in conjunction with each other in, so to speak, eldership rule. It's not the father says, I make all the commands and son, just go do. No, no. The Bible tells us clearly that after Jesus did all that the father required of him, it says that he sat down at the right hand of God Almighty. Do you understand that even in the Godhead, it's not this, well, I'm the great one, you're less, and the spirit, you're less. They work in conjunction they, I don't, I think we could find enough scriptures to know it's not, well, I make all the decisions, you guys just wait for me. We see that, and why this is important, why this is super important, because our relationship and understanding of the church flows right out of this. Do you know that the scripture says that you are not under Jesus' feet. Yes, I all know that we only come to Jesus by making and confessing him Lord of our life. But he doesn't put us under his feet and say, you stay there. The scripture says that we are, Ephesians, that we are seated, or I love how it says that he made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, I, if you know me, you know I'm not about, I'm not one of these guys that, that, that says, oh, I have all the power and I have, no, no, no. I'm a servant. And, and friends, that's one of the things I want to show you about eldership ministry. If it's not servant-based, it's not eldership. Because Jesus, if Jesus came to show us the kingdom of God and to bring the rule of God back to earth and all he taught about. You know, for three years, he discipled 12 men and changed the world, by the way. Okay. Gee, maybe we should get back to his pattern, okay? That's a good pattern. But 12 men, not a big, you know, didn't win a whole bunch. You know, we, we always think about, you know, the 5,000 that he fed, the 3,000 he fed. Friends, a lot of people walked away. But he got 12 men who said, I'll give up everything to do it your way because you know better than we do, Lord. And he does. So back to the beginning. And uh, one of the things I need to show you before... Um, when, so, so I'm going to jump forward so I can jump back, okay? Because I want to show you what happened in Genesis chapter 1 with the creation of Adam and what God put in Adam. But the first thing I need to show you is, what is an elder? What are their, what are their main functions and roles? And so when we look at Acts 20, okay? So elders, I need to show you this, okay? And by the way, in Scripture... You just see over and over and over again. It's not an elder. Yes, when there's, we're talking about requirements, we can talk about an elder. But when it talks about them functioning, it's always plural. It's always elders because there's to work together. And so in Acts 20, these are the two main scriptures you need to understand. 
Acts 20, verses start in verse 17, go to 20, and I'm running out of space, 17 to 28. And then the other one is 1 Peter 5. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on 1 Peter 5. I'm just going to go um, mention, pull something out of there, verses 1 and 2, because Andrew is going to unpack this for you. Amen? And I hope one thing that, you're beginning, that you like a little bit is you're going to hear several voices, but the same heart. And that's one thing I love about eldership ministry. It's designed by God to protect you. Because you don't get your eyes on one man. You don't get your eyes on to, ears to hear one voice. You, you have to now as the people of God begin to discern and test and prove every word and, find, and search the scriptures. And now you, begin to, you will begin in time to realize, wow, God is working through multiple men. Which is always what he's wanted you to know. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. One of my favorite scriptures. Whenever you come together. Would you say that with me? Whenever we come together. Every one of you. I didn't hear you. Every one of you. If you're one of every one of you, would you please raise your hand right now? Ah, okay, you were listening. Every one of you has a psalm, a hymn, an instruction, a, a, a word of exhortation, a tongue, an interpretation. Friends, God wants to make every one of you and me fruitful. And you know what? We somehow settled for this observer, this, this spectator sport, which we call church. I'm telling you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little prophesying. If we f keep following God the way we're supposed to, you are going to get activated in your spiritual gifts. And you're going to learn that when I come to the house of God, I have something to give. Not just something to take. I have something to give. God makes, wants to make you givers. Can you say amen? In the big sense. In the big sense. Not only giving your life and your money, and your t but your time and your heart and the things that he puts in you for others. And when that happens, you'll go, man, I like living this way. This is like, like Jesus is alive. This is like the Spirit still speaking today, and he is. Okay, so if you go to these two passages, by the way, uh, Paul, this is his, his last time. He knows, he knows he's going to Jerusalem. He knows he's, because the Spirit has already told him. He knows he's going to get imprisoned. He knows he's going to go to Rome, because God's promise... Uh, Jesus promised he's going to go to Rome, and he knows he's going to die. Now, some people have a different timing than I believe it is, but I believe when he's calling for the leadership of the church at Ephesus. Now, that was a special church because he spent there longer there than any other time. Three years he spent there. That place exploded. I call that the golden age of the church because it wasn't just... Paul there, uh, there's the host of other men from Tychicus to, to, to uh, 10 other people I can't remember, to uh, Priscilla and Aquila, and, and I believe even Peter passed through, and, I, and there's a reason that you can believe, uh, see that from the writing of 1 Corinthians, which I won't get into. Um, but there's this host of men that gather there, and, and when men can work together and not have their own ministry, but just do it for the glory of God, I'm telling you, things begin to happen. And that's why persecution broke out there in a beautiful way. Anyway, he finds 12 men there in the beginning. Those 12 men end up becoming the elders, I believe, at, at uh, Ephesus. Yeah, help me, i got 10 things going on in my head. And, and so when he's saying goodbye... It says, because he didn't have time to stop at Ephesus, so he stopped somewhere else, and he, it says he's calling for, and by the way, if this is the last time you're going to see the church, who are you going to call for? You're going to call for the cheerleaders? You're going to call for the ushers? Who are you going to call for? Clearly the leaders of the church. 
and go read it. Verse 17, who comes? And it doesn't say, pastors. Whoa, are we missing something? The leaders of the church, according to what Paul had established in Ephesus with other men of God, were elders. Okay, whoa. And, and do a search. Do a search in the New Testament. By the way, go read the book of Revelation, which is the end, and it should be also a vision of the way we should build things. Do you know the word pastor doesn't even occur in that book? Oh, my goodness. But we'll see elders there, or get there, by God's grace. Okay. So what does he say? He calls them, and he says, The Holy Ghost has made you overseers. Okay. This is what I need you to see. Who made them overseers? Come on, the Holy Ghost, to what? Feed the flock of God, okay? These two word overseers, okay, overseers is, I don't, I'm not going to give you the Greek words today, but it's the word all everywhere translated bishops, okay? But it, its meaning is to oversee, it's to supervise something, it's to protect something, it's to guard something. So that means that elders... The two main functions they have, one is to oversee, to make sure things are going well, that no one's getting harmed or hurt or, or, or taken astray. And the other is feed. This is the root word of, of the word that we use as pastor today, or the more often used word is shepherd, okay? This is the word, this is the, the operation of shepherding. And so in effect, these are really verbs bishoping or overseeing and shepherding which we would say is feeding and so he says that's what the holy ghost made you so the two main now there's other things they do but the two main things according to act acts 20 that the overseers do is they they take oversight and they feed or we would say they bishop and they shepherd or pastor so pastoring primarily is not a, we use it today as a title to exalt men, to let them know we think you're special. Oh, hey, pastor. That idea of putting something before a man never occurs among the godly. You will not find it ever recorded Apostle Paul. It's always Paul and Apostle. And in fact, Paul is so amazing. He lets us know in Romans 1, run 1, he says, I I, and he doesn't say, I, apostle, listen up. No. The first thing he gives you is his name. Oh, my God. I just have to say, oh, my God. Well, could we get back to those days where the most important thing you can know about me is my name and second is my heart for God? Not a title, not, not a, you know, a list of things I've done and, or things that I could boast in. I, Paul, and the next thing he wants you to know after you know his name is a servant of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? No title in that. And third, called. Called to be an apostle. That's a calling. We have to we fulfill it, hopefully, as best we can. But he didn't want the Church of Rome to know him as an apostle. He wanted them to know him as a servant whose name was Paul, who had a calling to fulfill. We have a call. Men of God have a calling in their life. And as soon as they begin to identify themselves with their calling, pride's going to come in, friends. See... Do you think when God sees me, he says, now, I don't know what you think I am, but I'm just going to pick one, okay? I've been to the nations. I've been sent. I, I, I've done apostolic work. So let's just say I see myself as an apostle, whatever. It doesn't matter. Do you think God says, oh, hi, Apostle Charles. Are you kidding me? Get out of here. He sees me one way. Son, 
I want to talk to you today. That's the way he sees me. So why? You know, people are funny. A good name is to be what? A good name is to be what? What's the rest of the scripture? More to be desired? So why are people seeking a, a title? Just get a good name. Get a good name. And you know, your name is built off of your character, how you handle things. Okay, let's get back. First Peter 5. Here's, here's Peter. And you know what? We have this weird idea. We think... Oh, you know, Peter made all the decisions for the church because there's got to be a set man. There's got to be somebody in charge. There's got to be somebody that everybody else bows down to and says, Oh, you're the one, you're the great goo that knows everything. Friends, Jesus wants to be the head of the church. We say it all the time, but we don't live it. I don't know hardly any churches that honestly let Jesus be the Lord of their church. And I get this pushback all the time. Well, you know, one man's got to be in authority. One man's got to make the decisions because... What would we do if we didn't know, if we, if we didn't come to an agreement? Oh, my God. Maybe we'd wait until we came to an agreement because we'd say, you know what? If you're the head of the church and you can't communicate it to us, then we have a problem. And we are not going to run on our, on our own. Wow, wouldn't that be nice? I bet, you God would, I bet you God would work through men like that. You know what? Saul got in trouble. You know why? Because he said, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Uh, uh, the man of God is supposed to come, but he didn't come, so I'll do something. He lost his anointing because of that. Yeah. Whoa. Where are the men of God that fear God enough to say, if he doesn't speak and we don't agree, we're not moving. And you know what? I, I would welcome you guys blaming us to say, gosh, you're not hearing from God because you don't know what to do. Well, okay, pray for us, and we'll keep praying for God speak. Okay, all right. First Peter chapter five, go read it. It says that I, Peter, a fellow elder. Whoa, what? Peter, what are you doing? They're gonna think you're like one of them if you say stuff like that. Well, he was like them. Friends, let's pull down the, the, the positions that we try to put in the church because Jesus said, if you wanna be great, you gotta be the servant of all. Amen. The servant of all, the servant of all isn't seeking a title. He's not seeking exaltation. He's seeking to serve. That's what Jesus did. So, okay. Here Peter says that he's a fellow elder. So, but we know he was an apostle. That means that apostles, when they go from church to church to try to strengthen them and establish them and give them vision and, and maybe show them where they're out of order in some areas, what they're doing when they come into the leadership of the church is they say, you know what? I sit as equal with you guys. Yes, I've got some maybe more experience. Yes, I've been with Jesus, but you know what? Each of you has a gifting that I'm not going to deny, nor am I going to usurp, nor am I going to put you down. I've been in situations, friends, traveling for the Lord as a missionary in Kenya for seven years, and as soon as a man comes in the room and says, I'm Bishop Owego, immediately you feel in the spirit he is pushing you down and pushing himself up. Friends, Jesus does the opposite over and over again. He can sit with a woman at the noonday in Samaria and talk with her so that she becomes defenseless and opens her heart. Wouldn't that be a nice model for ministry? Okay, I'm getting, I'm getting off here. Okay, so 
the reason all of that was just to show you that the two main ministries of the elder are to oversee, which is bishoping, and to feed, which is shepherding. Now, get, go back, let's go back to the beginning. When God made Adam, okay? And when God made Adam, he gave him a, a responsibility, which was, and I always mess up the first word, so I had to write it down. To dress and to keep the garden. To dress and to keep the garden. Huh, to dress and to keep. Keep sounds like guarding, doesn't it? And in fact, one of the, tra- one of the times that word is translated, it means watchman. A watchman. He was to be a watchman over the garden. By the way, that shows you his great failure. He was not watching. Because remember, friends, do you honestly think that God just cares about farming? That's the big lesson out of Genesis 1 and 2? Or do you think that maybe God was trying to teach Adam and all of mankind that he wants to teach you through naturals that you understand the spiritual? Just like Jesus came to show us the parables so that we could understand through naturals the working of the kingdom. And do you know the scripture says that your soul is as a garden? It can either be dry or it can be well watered. The very first thing a man needs to do in his family in terms of a husband... Is, is if you don't learn how to watch over and keep and guard your own soul, you're never, never going to be able to watch over and keep and guard another soul called a wife because she also is a garden. A Song of Solomon talks about the garden of his wife. And so, friends, isn't that amazing? God starts with that and says, learn how to do this well because I'm bringing another garden to you. Learn how to, learn how to do the natural and apply it to your heart so that you keep this so that when the wife comes, the, one, the other garden, the greater garden than this natural garden and even in your own heart, you'll know how to take care of her. And so there's two ministries she had to do, uh, that he had to do. One is to watch, okay? Or, or we said keep, keep or watch. And the other was to dress. Dress um, is... is one of the words it is translated is to be a husbandman, to sow seed, to be a farmer. That sounds, that sounds like shepherding and feeding to me. And so just think about it for a moment. When God gave Adam his, his job, so to speak, eldership ministry was in it. Friends, God made Adam an elder in his home from the beginning. That's the beginning. We got to build off of that, okay? And that ought to start in the home. That you, as a husband, you need to understand eldership ministry. Now, one of the things you need to understand about eldership ministry is that it was always, throughout the scripture, equals. And we'll get to that. This idea of joint rule, I'm telling you, Satan hates Satan fights against it, and we'll look through several examples throughout the scripture. So, this is why in Genesis 1.26, what does God say? When he, makes, when he makes them, let them, underline in your Bible, let them have dominion. Not let him have dominion. It's plural. Let them have dominion. Do you know from the beginning God wanted husbands and wives to rule together? Oh, my goodness, that's been destroyed. I can't tell you how often, as one who's tried to help people with their marital problems through counseling, how many times I get the man who says he loves God, blame the wife right away, 
and say, well, she's just being rebellious. She's not doing what I say. It's like, where'd you get the idea that that's the way you want to have a good marriage? What happened to joint rule? And friends, I'm not, uh, joint rule is not an issue only of, of the beginning. Friends, in Christ, what does Peter say? Peter says that in, well, okay. Peter says that the man, the husband is to honor the wife as the weaker vessel, but, but also as what? Joint heirs of the grace of the gift of life. Joint heirs. Friends, if, we, if we're supposed to be getting the same reward, then we ought to work with each other, not you're down here. That's, that's, that's the way the Gentiles do it. And friends, there's so much of this. See, Jesus came to the, the, tw- the 12, and, and as soon as he turns his back for a moment, they get into an argument about who's the greatest, not realizing that who is the greatest is in their midst, and they didn't need to fight for position because he was the greatest. And so, friends, if we want to talk about... Moses, God, God delivered the people out of, out of the ways of Egypt and all the way of the world. And what did he do? Yes, he set up Moses over them in a, in a civil way. He, he set up two governments. One was a civil government, and under Moses was, was 70 elders. Okay, 70, we'll come back to that, is, is the number of, uh, that's representative of elders. And he said, choose out men whom you know to be elders and take of the, the spirit that's upon you and give it to them. And so men look at that and they say, well, we're doing the same thing. You know, I got my associate pastors and I'm the senior pastor, I'm the Moses. Yeah. We forgot who the head of the church is. The head of the church is Jesus. Today, and, and so this is why you go to Hebrews 3.1. It says, consider Jesus. Consider him. And I love it, that word in the Greek, it also means to discover. Discover him. And the two things you need to discover about Jesus. Many people know the one part, which is the second part, which is that he's what? That he's the high priest of your confession. Say amen that he's the high priest of my confession. He brings me to God. He takes my worries, my concerns, my problems to God and and gets a solution, hallelujah. But what we don't often know is the apostle. And he puts that first. Go read it, Hebrews 3.1. Discover, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. See, the, the apostle is the one who comes from God. Let, let's start with the high priest, because that's the one we know. The high priest is the one who takes you to God. He goes from man to God. That's like Jesus Christ, Jesus, the man takes you to the, the Holy One, the Anointed One. But Christ Jesus is the one who comes from God to us to show us the way we should live. He's the one who sets orders and gives us commandments and, and says, this is the way my kingdom works. Okay? That we have to know him too. Now, when we apply that back to, to Moses and the Exodus and all that, remember, that was the church in the wilderness. Say, church in the wilderness. How do I know that? Because in Acts 7, there's a guy named Stephen. He's witnessing, and he's about ready to get stoned because he's going to talk about the hardness of the religious leaders of his day and that they had uncircumcised ears, and they didn't want to hear, and they didn't want to change. They didn't want to do what we sang this morning, which is laying all our religion down. Beautiful song. Thank God for singing that song. And I hope we take it serious that we continue to lay all our religion down because our religion will kill us, and it'll kill other people. So, here's, here, and he says that Moses was 
and, and all the Exodus people were the church in the wilderness. Now, can you say, I'm not in the church in the wilderness. I'm in the church in the promise. Amen? I'm the church in Jesus. You are. You're the church in Jesus. And so, so in the old, yes, the, the civil government was Moses and the 70 elders. Okay? And all the people came uh, to get their instructions there. And any hard thing went up to Moses. And in the, in the religious or spiritual side of, of the government that was given them, there was Aaron, wasn't there? He was the high priest. And then there was the sons of Aaron, all the, 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 the regular priests, so to speak. And then there was even a whole other third layer in terms of the, the, the sons of um, the Levites. Okay, the Levites. So Levites took care of, they're kind of like a type and shadow of the deacons. They take care of the natural need of the people in the house of God. Then there's the priests. But Aaron, the high priest... Friends, today, you don't have a high priest except Jesus. You don't go, you don't, you ought not to. Now, in religion, you do. In religion, you've got a pope, okay? You've got cardinals. You've got all the things that man makes. And man is clever. Man knows how to get your eyes on them through the devil's work. Okay? So, so Moses is the... Apostle, He's the, the lawgiver. He's the one who shows us how to live and is, is who we're to be discipled and to become like. Aaron, the high priest, the high priest of our confession today is Jesus. And so all those are types and shadows, not that we would always have a Moses, not that we would always have a natural man as a high priest, but that we would see that those things pointed to Jesus. Can you say amen? Okay. Take us there, baby. So... Take us, take us there for the sake of time to the conference room. Just really quick, if you can take us. We're going to unpack this for weeks okay. and weeks. Just bring, bring it home. You know, you know where you landed the, uh, in the conference room. If, if we want to know how to build according to pattern, then God has to show us the pattern, amen? And, and, and isn't the pattern, what is the pattern? God, God in the Old Testament Said, said that he wanted the people to build a place for him. Where is the place that God wants you to build for him today? Where is the place he wants you to build for him today? Right here. It's called my heart. God wants to build this as what? A holy temple in the Lord, Ephesians 2.20. And, and through uh, the, 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 Jesus being the chief cornerstone, through uh, 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 apostles and, and prophets, uh, we're to be built up into a holy temple in the Lord. That's both individually and corporately. Together we're to be built up as a temple. Okay? Now, Let's go to the end of the book. Let's, let's skip all, you know. I, I, I could go through a lot of examples of where Satan specifically hated this program, okay? And so I, I got to give you one of them, okay? So you know, there, there's many. But isn't it interesting? 70 is the number of what? Elders. And so here's Gideon. He, God raises up Gideon as a savior. And, in a, and how many sons does he have? The Bible says he has 70 sons. Coincidental? Coincidental that the people should go to him and say, you know what, you delivered us from, from the enemies. You be king over us, you and your sons. And go, praise God, he was a godly enough man that guess what he said? No. Would you say it with me? No. 
And, he, and go read what he says. This is uh, end of uh, uh, Judges 8. He says, I will not rule over you, neither will my sons. And here's the obvious. Because God is your king. The Lord will rule over you. Oh my goodness. Goodness. If we just had men that realize the Lord is to be the king. He's to be the ruler. And so what happens? The same thing happens again, doesn't it? Oh, we're so tired of judges. We're so tired of you raising up a man temporarily only so that we could get our eyes on you. Oh, no, we don't get our eyes on you. We get him on a man. And then when he's gone, we don't know what to do. And we get lost again. So give us a king like all the other nations. And guess what they got? Saul. That's what you're going to get if you want a, a natural ruler. And, and remember what, what God tells Samuel. Samuel's been an example. Unfortunately, it wasn't an example in his sons. Greatest failure of men of God throughout the ages is not training their own sons to have the same heart they have. Anyway, and that's why the people got offended. And they said, hey, your sons aren't like you, so give us, give us a king. And he gets kind of hurt. And God says, why are you hurt? They didn't reject you as king. They rejected me. Friends, every time we choose men to rule over us in a singular fashion, one at the top of the pyramid, we're rejecting God's leadership. Okay? If we want God's leadership, then we have to stick with the plurality of rule, which began uh, with Adam and Eve in the beginning. And guess what? My goodness, is that what, what, what does God show us in Revelation? Let's, let's finish now, okay? Um, too often, okay, think about this. Revelation 2, Revelation 3. What's God showing? He's showing the fullness of the different kinds of churches. He shows seven different churches, and I don't think that's because there's, it's because these are just about seven cities. It's because this is the fullness of the description of every different kind of church there is and every different kind of major problem that the churches have. So he lists them all because seven is the number of fullness of perfection. Now, every church had strengths. Every church had weaknesses. Some had more than others. Why do you think chapter 4 comes next? I'm so tired of people saying, oh, Revelation 4 is about we're out of here. That's the rapture. That, that's the taking out of the church so that we don't have to suffer, which I'd like to say, gee, where'd you get the idea that we as the church are not going to go through hardship? Not go, th and friends, the Exodus people again, do you know they saw all the 10 plagues? Those 10 plagues awfully sound very close, like the plagues that are coming in the great tribulation. And the people of God, they were taken out, but not after, until after the plagues happened. Yeah. They saw them happen, even though the wrath didn't fall directly on them. So maybe you ought to reconsider it. But nonetheless, here, here we are. Maybe chapter 4, let's go there, is not about getting out of here and we're missing the whole point, but maybe it's the solution to the problems of the church. Say that. And if you, again, go read it. I'm not going to read it. You'll see that he says, come up here, behold. And it says, and a door was opened in the heavens. And you know what he sees? He sees the divine plan of worship. The divine, say, the divine plan of worship. Maybe that's the solution to the church's problems. That if we would only worship where God has a throne in the center and nobody else has a throne. Wow. Can you say amen? Amen. And we're not trying to go through a man to get to God anymore. Except the one man, yes. Christ Jesus. And so what do we see? We see a throne set in heaven, the Bible says, and on him, on it sat, it's clear it's God Almighty. And then I'm, I'm only going to 
draw this quickly. So, so here's four seats, okay? And then, now if I double, you know, if I had two in between each one, now I have 12 seats. Bible says there was 24 seats, okay? I, I, I can't draw it well, so I'm just gonna draw four, but no, there's 24, and it says they're around the throne. And guess who's sitting on them? Not apostles, elders. 24 elders are sitting around the throne, and it even tells us what they're doing. Now, I find it interesting, they're seated, meaning before God, they realize they don't have anything to do until God says go. Do you know that there's angels, friends, right now, waiting, waiting, say it, waiting, 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 doing nothing but worshiping. Worship, 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 worship. God says go, poof, they go. Friends, they're not saying, hey, I know what I can do for you, God. Hey, I'm pretty good at this. That's what we have around the world today in Christianity. People say, oh, I'm good at this. I'll go do it. But they haven't waited to do what God tells them to do. And then when they finish it, come back. Okay, what's next? Well, I'll just keep doing it because I'm really good at it. Wow. So these 24 men, what are they doing? It says that they have crowns, but it says they're worshiping. It says they're falling down. So there's humility. There's worship. They're casting their crowns down, which means all their good thinking which to me, and their authority, they say, Lord, it's yours. You tell me what to do, where to go, when to do it, and, and we'll do it your way. Okay? Where's, where's, where's Jesus? Well, he's in the middle, okay? In the chapter before that, in chapter 1, he said that I, I mean Jesus, am seated with my Father in his throne. So think of Jesus sitting on the lap of his Father. And guess where you're supposed to be seated, by the way? You're supposed to be seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. And he's in his father. I don't know. It's starting to sound like joint rule again to me. I don't know. Not that we're under his feet, but, but that we're to be learning his ways. And so they're all worshiping. Okay? And I want you to understand, this is the heavenly pattern that seems to be the answer and solution to the church's problems. Now, when you're in a circle like this, when you're in a circle like this, can you tell me? Maybe I didn't draw it so good, but, but imagine this is a perfect circle now, okay? Can you tell me which of these 24 elders is the set elder? Which one's making all the decisions? Which one is the chief elder? Can you tell me? I can't, but I can tell you that they're equidistant from the throne, which means they all have equal access, and clearly the implication is they all have equal authority under God. And isn't it funny, I, I, when I look at how the church solved problems, Acts 15, they have this, this amazing counsel, and they go before God, and, the, and now maybe you, haven't, you read it differently than I, but the way I read it, it's very, very clear that they, the, the problem is presented to the whole church, but then the apostles and elders say, let's go to consider this matter. They meet separately, and that's why all of a sudden all you see is apostles and elders, you don't see the people anymore. And that's why at the end of that decision, they had to announce it to the people, and that's why they say, okay, they go back to the people, and they say, this is what God, and it seemed good to the people that the Holy Spirit was working this way. Go read the passage. There's apostles and elders, and yet it says there was much disputation. You know what that means? They're arguing. And not one of them said, yeah, you guys are being carnal because you're arguing. And the apostles didn't say, hey, we're apostles, you elders. Would you please be quiet? We're going to solve the issue for you and tell you what you should do. 
No, just like 1 Peter 5 tells me, just like 1 John tells me, or 2 John tells me, or John himself calls himself an elder, the apostles, so to speak, humbled themselves and worked as elders with all the other elders to make this decision. Wow, what would be nice if we could get back to that model. Amen. One last verse, which I didn't give them to the, uh, uh, when we talked about this, but I want to end with this. Colossians 3.1, if ye then be risen with Christ, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. I just showed you what's at the right, uh, the things that are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God Almighty. You're supposed to seek those things. I pray that from this day forward, wherever you go, whatever you do, you'll desire to have elders and plurality over you and no longer what I call the Babylonian system of one man exalted over others. Because if we want the kingdom, Jesus said you've got to humble yourself as a little child. And friends, if it's not being modeled by your leaders, then you're never going to get there. That I'll tell you. You can have the greatest heart, but we've got to build according to the way God says. So I'm going to leave that with you. Amen? Amen. You have a lot of questions. We'll get to questions. Amen. Amen. Let, let's pass it to Andrew. Andrew, we'll where are you? Questions, real quick. Andrew, take us home. Where is he? Come on up, Andrew. Hopefully, hey guys. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll only keep it to one minute. Was that? That was good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I want to honor you guys' time. Um, so yeah. Um, first off, I just want to honor. King Jesus, and who is the greatest shepherd, the good shepherd, right? He's the greatest shepherd of them all. And one of the elders, or not all the elders, are called to shepherd. But first, in John 10, 11, uh, sorry, 10, 14, I'm the good shepherd, and my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. So first off, we know that he's the good shepherd, and as elders, we are called also to shepherd, just like him. But as he mentioned, uh, Charles mentioned the throne room, um, we're also called as a shepherd, as elders, to, to put our crowns before Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, yeah, I'll just skip all this stuff, but uh, first, first Peter 5, 1 through 14 I just want to call, uh, encourage you guys to, to read that. Um, and it talks about first that Peter, he mentions himself as an elder, just like everybody else. He hasn't mentioned himself higher. And it talks about what it looks like to be a, a, an elder as a shepherd. Um, and so, so, so I exalt the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that in among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, um, but willingly as God would have not or have you, uh, not for shameful game, but eagerly, not domineering over those in charge, but being examples to the flock. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stop there because I encourage you to read the, the rest of it through 14. 
uh, a few things. Shepherding is not the head thing. It's a, it's a function, all right? It's a function of an elder. It's a function of, of a leader, okay? It's not the thing. Just like I'm a father it, or I'm a husband, it's not the primo, primary thing. It's a function of who I am. I'm a father. That's a function of who I am. You guys get that? Um, so the same thing here. It's a function of what we do. Um, all right. <laughs> uh, I'm going to highlight a few things. We're called to be example. And I want to share just a brief testimony of example. Uh, an elder is called to be example, be a light, just like Jesus. And I want to share one uh, of my daughter who um, lo- she's been longing and desiring social media, <laughs> okay? And, and, and I told her, no, no, I don't want you to do social media because I, I love you and I want your heart to be protected. But at the same moment, I was actually on social media when I told her. <laughs> so what did the Lord do? He brought a little bit of conviction saying, hey, you're a leader. You can't, you have to lead your household, and so at that moment, I stopped social media because I realized, wait, I have to lead by example. And that's what we do as shepherds. We lead by example. Um, I had a picture as well. I'm, I'm trying to cut this short, guys. There's just, I have a lot more. I'll give you guys notes. But yeah, the picture that I had was this, is that I saw a, a very narrow road, okay, the narrow road, and, but I saw King, the good shepherd in front of us. And I saw all these sheep, and we were following um, we're the good shepherd, but I saw the elders on the side of the road, so to speak, in the midst of the sheep. Not in front, on the side. We were following King Jesus, the good shepherd. And I saw the sheep trying to, uh, losing focus of King Jesus, and almost going off trail. And the elders were like, wait a second, no, Jesus is right there. And they would start to wonder, Jesus, where are you going? Jesus is right there. We're following Jesus. And that's kind of an image that the Lord showed me is that that's what elders are all about. Just keep on pointing to King Jesus. Keep on directing to Jesus and his leadership. So our first thing, the priority, is that we look to Jesus. We honor him. We worship him. We looked for his guidance, his direction, his wisdom. We point to the sheep, to Jesus. We lead by example. We are in the midst, not above. We're in the midst of the sheep, not above. We care and we contend for breakthrough, meaning we pray, we never lose sight, we're here to help, we're here to guide, we're here to direct, we're here to champion the the sheep. Does that make sense? We as elders don't want anyone to get off track. It is always hard for, for one lead pastor to do this, but with many elders, we are here to help. And so I just want to say this, is that Jesus is our leader. It is a privilege to to shepherd, but him being the good shepherd, and we just follow him as we're shepherding. It is is an area of an elder. But like I said, I'll give you guys the notes. But 
I just want to pray for you guys to really grasp just kind of what was said. I know a lot was said in just a certain amount of time. There is questions, and we want to fulfill that and, and answer that to the best of our ability. But let's just close your eyes. Let's just look to King Jesus as the good shepherd, as we leave here today. That really it, it was, if you, if you get it all, put it all together, it really is Jesus is our leader. To sum it up, Jesus is our leader. He's the one that brings wisdom and guidance. And I want to follow Jesus, our leader. Lord, I just pray, let our vision to be on you. Let our purpose to be on you. Lord, maybe our, our focus has been off of you or on just a particular person or on a particular place. But Lord, I ask that uh, the spirit of repentance, that we'd shift our focus back on you, Jesus. We choose today to follow you and your ways. We choose to follow your leadership. You are truly the good shepherd. Hmm. So Lord, we just repent of those times that maybe we have drifted away. But Lord, we thank you for your kindness that you go after us and you bring us back. And so Lord, I ask as we leave here today, Lord, that you'd stir in us what is going on in the throne room, worship, but you're worthy to be praised as the good shepherd, the leader. So we honor you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. I can add any more <laughs> things <laughs> after this master class, but... <laughs> Um, it's the hard part for me because this is very deep in my heart and explain that even in another language, <laughs> my own language is hard. Uh, but my question, not only for me, for all the church, is how we're going to respond to God in front of this calling. Because... Um, when I was sit here, uh, I was seeing, I, I was only focusing all your face. Uh, I was thinking, wow, Lord, this is our family of faith. This is my family. And it's crazy that you sent to me from another culture, another people to come to be part to this special family and establish your kingdom and responding to this calling. Um, some parts in this process for me is easy because I grow from 25 years we serving in Venezuela with model as our elders in a church. But at the same time, um, I feel the special calling and responsibility in my heart to share with you that it's not from us. This is from the Holy Spirit calling in this time to return to design, to return to the model, to the book of Acts, adapting to this special season and context that we live. Um, how are we going to respond? And 
I ask myself this question, and the cat respond to me in Acts chapter 2. We need to respond the same way that the believers respond to God in this moment. They responding together in unity. Persevering in a doctrine. It's not a main doctrine, main idea. What is the doctrine that we're talking about? The doctrine of Jesus Christ, what Jesus said. Persevering in love, sharing the bread, and persevering in pray together as a one. And God start to add all that will be saved. And in the same way, I think, Lord, but we have many positions, even our flesh, our idea, our fears, the culture all around us. And God, one more time, spoke to me the last Friday, Acts chapter, chapter 4, how the apostle pray in front of all the opposition that they had around them. Um, only I want to read this verse. Now, Lord, consider his threats and let your servant speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out, stretch out your hand so that he, healings and sins and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After praying in the place where they were gathered, shock. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. So, above our fears, our culture, we need to respond to God as a family. How we always say, we follow Jesus, fishing people, as a family, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So... I'm so happy, exciting uh, about, <laughs> I don't know how the future is coming. Only I know that the Spanish service is starting right now. <laughs> and all the people are there waiting for me. But <laughs> um, it's all about Jesus. Yeah, amen. It's not about us, all about Jesus, because he is the center. He is our focus. Uh, we want to respond to him together in unity as a family. Come on, man. Amen. So I want to invite Amen. Uh, Let's all stand to our feet, and then we're going to make time Amen. for question and answer. Can you say thank you? Rafa, that was amazing. Can you imagine speaking a different language? So, Father, thank you. Lord, I know that was a lot. Like, like you said, a master class. And and uh, so just take a deep breath in the presence of God. Chad, why would you take a Sunday and just give us a snap? Why would we do an eldership? Because we want you to know the, the structure of leadership that we're moving into. So Lord, I pray that that would be conveyed by the Spirit right now. That, that, that radiance not moving to follow one man. We're following King Jesus in a plurality of leadership, submitted to each other, submitted to the lordship of Jesus, giving ourselves to care and to oversee for the sheep. That's why we took today as an intro. So I just pray that that would be conveyed, Holy Spirit, that you would just give peace to your sheep. This, the, the whole point of this, God, is to, to, to cast a vision 
that this, the future of Radiant is not on any man's shoulders, but it rests squarely on the lordship and kingship of Jesus. And then under his headship and lordship is a group of men yielded to Jesus and to one another in a spirit of humility. And Father, I just thank you that you would just speak and give peace, courage, Lord. This is just intro, like one, class 101. Thank you, Lord, for people's willingness to stick it out, to hear. And I know there's a lot of questions. And so, Lord, for those that need to leave, Holy Spirit, fill them with peace. Fill them with joy. Lord, I pray that you would drive everyone in this room and those watching online to the Bible. This week, I, hey, even read the book of Acts. Even read through the epistles, the Timothys, the Tituses. Get God's vision for his house. Go on this journey with us. I pray, Lord, the grace of God over every heart. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. And amen. You're dismissed if you need to go. If not, we'll make space for questions. I love you guys.